Uh, to kick things off, uh, we're joined by Isla Robinson. Uh, he's the CEO of NS, uh, which specializes in high net worth uh, mortgage advice all across Europe. Um, we thought this would be an interesting topic due to the nature of, of his business and, and the environment we're in. So yeah, thanks for, for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so Isla, the property market has, I guess, has gone full roller coaster in the last 12 months, given the current pandemic. What would you say has changed over the last 12 months or in the property market since COVID has sort of appeared in our lives? Yeah, sure. I think we started our business when uh, the, the global financial crisis in 2007. So we started and we saw a problem in the industry, in the market, in the economy as a whole. And everything fell away. Banks stopped lending, property prices collapsed, people lost their jobs and everything else. So when this happened, first of all, we didn't think it was going to be true. Then it started unfolding. And our first expectation was that all of the banks would withdraw from the market. They'd drop their loan to values. They would stop their appetite. They wouldn't lend into niches. Um, and the property market would collapse and we'd be in a bad position. Um, but this time that didn't happen. Um, government intervention um, was one thing, so that propped up the market. The banks didn't feel like they had to stop lending, and I don't really understand why that is. It's usually a natural thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, people started buying houses because we thought we were finished. We thought the property market was going to be dead. We thought we had to lay off everyone and like move to move to the country and drive taxis or whatever. <laughs> but the government. Uh, fired up the marketplace, the stamp duty holiday, and then people started buying for security reasons. They started buying with gardens, with space outside the city, places where their children would feel safe. And then that's just built into this, uh, this cycle of property transactions. And now property prices and everything are higher than they have, ever have been. Um, so we feared the worst, but then the complete opposite happened. So in terms of what changed, lenders started lending more money and it was phenomenal and that's happened across Europe um, and I think as soon as so this is on a domestic scale this is UK UK as soon as international travel starts happening we're going to see the Far East come to London London people go to France and this big movement of people internationally and I think that's um, that's the change I think we were all a bit paralyzed before that. So, what's interesting I, I think um for us to understand more from about you is that given obviously that you're, you're, you know, the type of people that you deal with come across, you know, they're business owners, they're sort of high mm -hmm. net worth or ultra high net worth people. And they probably would have had similar fears to you mm -hmm. about, is this really happening? Oh God, this is really happening. Are we actually going to survive this? Yeah. What's going to happen to our business? So it'd be interesting to sort of hear from you as to how you kind of information was being fed to you from the individuals that you deal with and the sectors that they're in and sort of did that give you more confidence or more fear and how did you sort of gauge as to what was happening in the wider economy given all the different sectors and people that yep. you deal with? Okay yeah so I think that the first thing that individuals and business owners did and we did as well was we thought our cash flow is going to collapse during this process so we need to shore up our, um, our cash position but also our income. So we went to the lenders um, so the bounce back loans and the Siebel loans and everything else came in. So I think business owners at the beginning shored up their shops um, make made sure that they were as well capitalised as they possibly could be um, to protect their business. So that was the first thing. Um, but then some industries struggled. So half the hoteliers, half the restaurant owners, 
retail shops, they had a defensive protectionist uh, movement. But then other industries like, um, I don't know, online retailers, warehouses, property developers and so on, they became more aggressive through this period because there was more capital available. So there was winners and there was losers. Um, and that information came to us quite quickly. Um, as soon as people got over that initial shock, people decided what they were going to do. And there was real kind of confidence in decision-making, which I haven't seen in this market for a long mm. time. Have you um, seen some special situations come into the market? I mean, we look at the, the, the London commercial property market and we're in the middle of, a, of an office move at the moment. And it seems that there's almost a disconnect between the reality of there being a pandemic and the prices people are still trying to cling yeah, on to. I agree. Um, in, the, in the resi market, mm -hmm. um, prices seem to be a, a one-way trade and yeah. going upwards. But is there a risk that, that that changes over time? I think there's a, there's a one-way trend in real estate, in residential property, to a particular part of the market. And that, that is houses with gardens. That's what people are buying. Or apartments with roof terraces. That's... That's the residential market. Anything which is 20 storeys high, underground, shared access, that's not as desirable. So there's a, there's a two-speed in, uh, in residential. And I guess the same is correct in commercial. Uh, you can't really finance a hotel at the moment. So if you want to buy a hotel, it's in cash. If you want to refinance a hotel, you need to stack lots of security. Um, and you're going to be borrowing at quite a modest loan-to-value. So an example is a well-run well uh, hotel chain, um, profitable, but they'd overspent. I hadn't even overspent. They'd invested heavily before the pandemic, um, which left them in a position where their balance sheet, their profit and loss, didn't look as well as it could. So they couldn't borrow any money with C-bills, even though it was a fantastic business. So they couldn't borrow. Um, whereas if you were buying an office block to turn it into houses or you know, that type of thing, you're able to borrow quite easily. So special situations was really sector specific. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree what you mean, that, uh, agree with what you say. It's There is a, a real enthusiasm for some things and the other things are struggling. Right, Yeah. sure. And you mentioned um, the travel and at the moment things are domestic buyers buying domestic properties and, yeah. and how that might change. Are you already starting to see the inquiry. This is a loaded question because I'm looking forward to a holiday. Yes. But are you already starting to see the inquiries coming and going from, from other parts of the world? Yeah, we've seen a huge uh, increase in inquiries for the south of France, for the Balearic Islands, for Dubai as well. So the places which are, um, if there was another pandemic, where would you want to be? So Dubai fared pretty well through this. They, um, they didn't suffer too bad government... Um, uh, reaction to the pandemic was strong and they got their vaccine rollout quite quick. So villas in Dubai are now performing incredibly well. The apartments aren't. So that's another example of that two speed. Um, France, Ibiza, so France is struggling, but the property type in the south of France for wealthy people is somewhere where you could stay for six months if there's another global nuclear fallout or whatever and, and be quite safe there. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing interest for that. Um, the Spanish islands, Ibiza, Mallorca, they fared quite well through this. They stayed on the green lists throughout. Um, you can go there, you could go there and holiday during the pandemic. You could get there and get back. So demand for those places is, is, is lifting up as well. You can't really buy anything at the moment because the property markets are subdued. 
But I think as soon as that um, ability to travel and do that, I think there'll be a huge uplift in, in those marketplaces. Interesting. G- going back to, to sort of your, your view at the beginning where you, <clears throat> you mentioned, obviously, it was almost like, let's battle down the hatches and let's survive as a business. Yep. As a as an MD or a CEO of a, of a business, I guess I was in a similar sort of position, where you're sitting there and you're thinking, "Is it you know again?" As I repeat, "Is this really happening?" Mm. How did you sort of feel, look, with the benefit of hindsight, looking back over the last twelve months, from that in, initial sort of panic that you had mm-hmm. to where you are today? How, what do you think sort of went well and what didn't go so well? Versus, and how did you keep your staff? motivated and make not let them panic and yeah you know if they were getting inquiries or speaking to customers how did they not panic them about what they could and couldn't do and kind of like how did you manage that whole thing looking back at it now from sort of with the benefit of hindsight that that bit was complex right so we were all gripped with fear our families were panicking everyone was panicked the news was going off the hook and we were left with a business which i don't know about your business but I hold about three months worth of cash flow and that's enough for my working capital. And that's served me fine for about a decade. Um, And then all of a sudden I saw property transactions drop, which means mortgages drop, which means my income drop. We we don't have recurring income. Um, So I thought three months isn't going to be enough to get me through this. So it was really blank piece of paper. Which bits of this business can we mothball? Where should we focus our attention? Um, where can we drive profitability? Um, because that's um, that's our job. It's allocation of resources. So we, I felt we had limited resources and we had to allocate it to the bits which were going to bring in cash because cash is the blood flow of any business. Um, so we started with a, a very extreme plan um, and it was it was quite aggressive because I thought that's how we had to play this, having run the business through the financial crisis. Um, so we had, you know, what happens if we need to make this bit of the business insolvent and, and wind it down and we, can we move the assets sure. to this part and anything else? Um, that didn't happen, as I said, because we were lucky and my industry and the market responded very, very quickly. So we saw transactions not fall off and people start doing things quite quickly. Um, what I was amazed about, we always felt that we needed our staff in the office at 8.30 and they weren't allowed to go home until 5.30 and that's what our business was. Even though our customers were WhatsApping us at 7am or in New York so speaking to them after hours. So our staff took to technology very, very quickly um, and this kind of evolution in their professionalism, I don't know if that's too strong a way of saying it, they took care of themselves and they came with us in the business yeah, um, and that's what helped the business get through this because everyone really picked up their swords and, and went It's amazing it. what people can achieve when they've got no other choice, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, exactly. They had other choices. But sure, but it's Uber's, amazing Uber's how resilient people well. are when, you put, when they're put in a situation. Mm. Um, g- given, obviously, what we know now and where we're at, what's your sort of plans for the year ahead and how do you sort of build from where you are and what's your view now, 12 months yeah, sort of forward. So we, we've just become, um, uh, talking to some of your guys, inundated with opportunity after this. Do you know, the um, our phrase is never waste a good crisis. That's not my phrase. I think Warren <laughs> Buffett or someone smart said it, right? <laughs> but it's kind of there's a crisis here and people are changing and people are moving and there's opportunity as a result. So we've got a lender launching in a couple of weeks' time where we're going to raise some money and lend that into some of our 
situation, some of those more difficult things, because there's a shortage of cash here, but there's also an abundance of cash over here. So we're going to kind of match that together. But um, yeah, we're faced with three or four opportunities to grow the business. But like you, it's how do you allocate those resources and, and mm -hmm. not do one thing, which is going to affect something else. Um, so lending business is quite interesting to us. But we've also learned over the years, just to stick to our knitting, we're really good at big mortgages for international and complex and high value positions. And every time we do something next to that, this one suffers as a result. And that's the one that actually makes all the money. Um, so that's, does that answer your question? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly, yeah. Okay. So, so, in summary, really, sort of more of the same of what you're good at, and then going into the next sort of twelve and twenty-four months, does the the rebound continue at the pace that we're starting to see now? What a question! Huh? Who knows? Um, in so in the financial crisis, oh seven, property prices collapsed, and then it took in prime central London, for example. What did it take? Three or four years for it yeah. to recover, mm -hmm. and then it collapsed again. Um, in in the kind of property boom before the financial crisis, that spiralled over, what, four or five, six or seven yeah. years? That was a prolonged thing. I think there's, there's a momentum in the marketplace where people are making their life decisions, feeling confident about the government's response and, as a result, the economy. Maybe that kind of pent-up reticence with the UK through Brexit which has been delayed because of the pandemic, that starts coming through. Um, and that would make you think property prices will continue. Lenders are lending unbelievably in the return of 95% mortgages. There's more now today than there has been over the last, I don't know the stat, but five years, for example, which means the banks are confident in this, but the government is still very, very keen to use property as a way of raising taxes. So stamp duty on foreign national, CDT changes, still the inheritance tax thing is preventing investment into London, and that's usually the thing that drives it. So we think it's going to continue, but like everything, there's lots of things that could de derail that yeah. quite quickly. I mean, you mentioned the, the B word there. <clears throat> Excuse me, and we tried to, tried to avoid it, but Brexit... Mm. Um, you know, it, that hasn't been because COVID has, has delayed it. Obviously, it's happened and we're, and we're sort of moving into this, this period. But do you think that's having, going to have a long-term implication? I don't know. We, what happened with Brexit? So during the referendum, the market slowed down considerably and investment into London stopped or kind of, I don't know how you find it, but it wasn't, that was a real pullback on the market. Then we were expecting the absolute worst if it happened, or we were led to believe that might be a thing, but that didn't happen. But then nothing happened. This is just my limited view to it. Absolutely nothing happened. Um, we were expecting, I don't know, you can probably tell me what you were expecting because you're closer to those type of markets, but then the pandemic came. So that Brexit bit has just been, the, the response to it has just been held yeah. here, hasn't it? We don't actually know what that is yet. Um, what do you think? Is it... Well, in terms of investment into into the UK, it's one of those things. It's we, we still don't know what Brexit really means. I don't think we can fully understand where we're at. You with can't it. go fishing, right? Is no. that the thing? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the point. So you know, financial services, for example, has had a raw deal, mm. but is that going to be forever? We just don't know. And I think we're it's it's sort of virgin territory. Yeah. But again, I think we we sort of prepared for the worst. You know, we went and uh, we set up an operation in Italy. Um, so we're fully regulated in, in Europe, yep. so to speak. 
Um, but now there's talk that there will be a potential deal for financial services to passport their services into Europe. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Is the so we're, we're doing the same thing. We, we, we do a lot in Europe and we we're actually able to do that through Jersey, but Jersey's not... Jersey and Europe aren't really seeing eye to eye after Brexit. Yeah. So we're thinking, no, we actually are setting up a business in France, which I don't want to do. And um, I've never wanted a business in France. It's expensive mm -hmm. and difficult and Italy's yeah. as difficult, whatever. Um, but we feel like we have to do that. So again, it's, you just don't know. We don't yeah. know what it means. Yeah, interesting. Just one last question. Um, obviously you mentioned um, you're seeing more activity with houses and gardens. That sort of indicates that people looking to buy flats in and around sort of where they work, yep. and the, the demand for that's no longer there. So, given that <clears throat> business owners or managers of, of businesses are somewhat, I guess, moving out of the city, do you find, or are you finding, or, or do you expect, I guess, that these companies will either cease to exist in city centres or in central London? So, if you're a big bank and you're, you know, or you're a PE fund or a manufacturing business that had a, you were going to live in London because it was near your office. Are you expecting that the people, I guess, the, the, the population to sort of become less densely populated and sort of people will start moving their hub? So, yeah. you know, in, in essence, if HCFX were to no longer exist in central London, where would we be? And are you seeing that people are moving their business headquarters sort of outside? Extraordinary, yeah. I know what you mean. I think from my experience, um, I've... Working from home is really good for me. I can get up in the morning, take my kids to school, knock out a thousand Zooms, see my kids after school. So it's worked quite well for me. And I think in my role, apart from being around the team, I don't need to be in an office, but that's me personally. Um, our team, our guys in London, they're straight back to the office. They want to be in the office. Yeah. They want to be around the bars and their colleagues and they want the buzz of Mayfair and all of those types of things. I think that's things. it. It's the social yeah. environment. Right? Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I think it's great being outside of the UK, outside of London. Um, there's not much there. There's not a rocker, right? Yeah. So what are you going to do? <laughs> so, um, so I think, um, I think a, lot of, a, a lot of people are jumping on this idea that everyone's just going to move out of London. But I don't think London's got a special power and it's yeah, you know, sure. top three cities in the world and it's got a lot more than than just that. I think the 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 regional London centres will become more important. What I mean by that is St John's Wood High Street, for as long as I've known it, it's been pretty shit. Okay. It's, yeah. bit, it's got like a couple of cafes and it's a bit dodgy, but there's into St John's Wood, you're getting better restaurants, you're getting local gyms, boutique retailers and everything else. So I think there's a kind of kind of not move as far, but still be in So London. you don't have to go to Oxford Street to get exactly the, the best bit. So you're seeing sort of the higher quality stuff move to sort of zone two not areas. Not coming into Oxford Circus, it's the kind of the St John's Woods or the, I don't know, the, the Richmonds and so on. I think they become mini city centres. So I think it right, spreads out that saying. way, but everyone's still in London. I, I don't see, I think a lot of people moved out of London but that's not an easy way to do. Like, you live outside of London, don't you? <laughs> well, I live in North London, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> not, not too far. But yeah, I see what you're saying. It's interesting. Yeah. So when, obviously, this was all kicking off, you know, I, I'd walk to sort of um, Muswell Hill, for example, and it was heaving. But I'd come into the office to have a, a sort of Zoom, and it was, as you get past St John's Wood, driving in from North London into, into, into town, you're dead. You go past St John's Wood and go into Regent's Park, it's ghost town. Yeah. There's no, that's because there's no tourists here. Yeah. 
Um, so, but yeah, interesting. Are you going to move out? Hopefully, one that you could probably mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might need one of those specialist ones. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here when you need. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, well uh, thank you for spending the time and coming to speak with us. It's great. And uh, yeah, we look forward to catching up and doing some more business together yeah. soon. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Cool.